The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in a message I've entitled, When God Gets Your Attention. When God Gets Your Attention. And Saul, Acts 9.1, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, this way is a euphemism for Christianity, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonishing, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, the Bible teaches that Satan can blind people. Satan blinds people. And I think, this this is my thoughts on this, I think Satan blinds people not by obstruction, In other words, I don't think that he can make it so a person can't see God's way. So how does he blind people? He blinds them through distraction. It's not that they can't see God's way, it's that they don't see God's way because they're so distracted and they're on another way. He does that to unbelievers, he does that to believers. He distracts us and we're so easily distracted We're so easily deluded and deceived that thinking a a way is right when it's not right. And so at times when we're on a wrong way, God intervenes and gets our attention. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of grace when God intervenes into our life when we're on a wrong way to get our attention. And that's what he did here with with, uh, who, who would become the Apostle Paul, Saul. And we're gonna look at this passage and draw some applications. And in the passage, we're gonna see a progression. The progression is this, and I would like you to repeat it to me if, if you would, please. It, the progression is attention, correction, direction. Would you say that with me? Attention, correction, direction. One more time. Attention, correction, direction. And those three points will form our message this morning. First of all, let's talk about attention. When God gets your attention. And let's see how that happened with Paul, Saul. It says in verse 1, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples. And he goes to the high priest and he asks for permission to go persecute them and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they would be taken uh, captive or killed even. And so where, where, where was he in this time of his life? Why was he doing this? Who was this person, Saul? 
Well, Saul was a religious zealot. And uh, he was well-educated. He was ambitious. And he really believed, he honestly believed he was doing the right thing. He was sincere, but he was deluded. And you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And so here he is, and he's doing what he believes is the right thing, and he's not. I find this ironic. We believe his name Saul means desired, and it was, it was a source of pride, I think, for him because it connected him to the tribe of Benjamin and to the first king of Israel. So Saul, and then God changed his name to Paul, which means little. I find that ironic. So here he is, he thinks he's working for God. You know, you see, Satan, he doesn't mind blinding you with religion. He doesn't mind using religion to blind a person. So here he is, blinded, but blinded by religion, and he's performing his own pious plans in verse 2. He's going around gathering up people of this way, the Christians, and taking them. And what did God do? God intervened to get his attention. He's riding along to Damascus, and this light comes and knocks him down to the ground. God knocks him off his high horse, so to speak. He knocks him down to his knees and begins to speak to him. Listen, young people, God knows what it takes to reach you. And when I say get your attention, God doesn't try to get your attention. God gets your attention. He knows exactly what it takes to get your attention and my attention. Has it ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I'm going to tell you a couple instances if, if I have time. The first one happened to me when I was in high school. And um, it happened to me in the middle of basketball season. My appendix burst, and it was right before Christmas. So um, I, I, I know God was getting my attention. Sports had become way too important to me. I'd worked very hard to become a starter on the team, but sports was just way too important to me. And so I believe God did that, and uh, my appendix burst, and uh, they, didn't di they diagnosed it wrong, and uh, it was 24 hours before they operated. And so later on, they said, we almost lost Tim. They said that to my parents. And so I'll never forget, first of all, I'll never forget the, the, the uh, preparation for the surgery um, first of all, I wish they'd warm up those surgery tables before they put you on there. Anybody with me? I mean, it's freezing, okay? And then I'll never forget this. I'm laying there, and I'm not under yet. I'm, I'm still wide awake, and they pull out this marker, and they start to draw on my stomach where, they're, where the incision's going to go. I'm going, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm still awake. And they're going, let's cut him right here, you know? And so uh, I'll never forget that. Anyway, and finally they put me under and uh, surgery. And I woke up, oh man, I was in bad shape. They had to pump my stomach for over a week. And because they had to pump my stomach, I had to lay still in my bed like this. And so there I am in my hospital bed and I had nowhere to look but up. And God got my attention. He got my attention. Afterwards, uh, afterwards, I had lost a lot of weight. Uh, the first basketball practice after I, if, after I recovered, um, I put on my shorts and they fell off. <laughs> so they had, to, they had to gather them and pin them. How humbling was that? And God got my attention and said, hey, this is way too important to you. And if I have to, Tim, I'll take it away. 
And so that was one of the instances in my life. I ask you, has God ever done that to you where you knew it was an unmistakable work of God to get your attention? That's what was happening here. Now, I want to be quick to say this. God, God only uses drastic measures when his other corrective measures previously hasn't, hasn't, uh, hasn't incurred a response from you. So I believe this. God, God corrects us gently at first through conviction. And he did this through to Saul. Saul studied under Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the religious leader that said, hey, we shouldn't be persecuting these disciples of Christ. If they're working for God, then we don't want to be working against God. Remember? And so Saul heard that. Saul certainly heard the sermon from Peter on Pentecost. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned. And so God was gently trying to correct him and he didn't respond. So then God brought in the drastic measures and knocked him off his horse. And God will do the same with us. Look at verse, look at verse uh, three again. There's shine this light, verse four. And he hears this voice and he says, why are you kicking against the prick or the goad? He used an illustration of what they do to cattle. Cattle, uh, you know, need some uh, little encouragement to go forward. They generally don't want to. So the farmer, whatever, would have a stick and uh, with a sharp end and he would, he would, you know, give a gentle jab to the cow to get him to go forward. And God said to Saul, why are you kicking against the goad? See, when the cow kicks against the goad, it only hurts him. It'd be much easier if he just went forward where he needed to go. And God said, why are you kicking against me? Why? Why? You're only hurting yourself. You would be wise to respond quickly. And that's the message to all of us. If God's trying to get your attention, trying. If God is getting your attention, you'd be wise to respond quickly. So we see attention. Now let's look at correction. Let's look at correction. Verse 4. And so... He falls to the earth, and here's the correction. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting? You are persecuting me. You're on the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing. You're working against me. You think you're working for me, but you're working against me. And so God brings the correction. Now, I don't believe we're going to hear an audible voice today. Um, I don't want to put God in a box, but I don't believe generally he works that way today. We have a bright light. It's right here, okay? We have, the, we have the word of God in writing. And so God, here's what he does. He, he uses circumstances uh, to draw us to the word of God, to, to someone who'll give us the word or a sermon or the word of God itself. Or he'll make the word of God uh, speak to us so, so clear. It's almost audibly. Tim, for me, times in my life, Tim, this is what I want you to do. Tim, you're not doing the right thing. So we have the written word of God that convicts us and corrects us. I find it interesting here, notice this, that God spoke his, Jesus spoke his name twice. Look at that, everyone. Look at it again, verse 4. He says, Saul, 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 Saul. Maybe you've heard this before, but God did, the, uh, God did this in other occasions in the Bible with more than a few people as a tool of emphasis and to, to get their attention. For effect, he would say their name twice. Uh, 
How many of your mother's done this before, okay? Uh, she, didn't, she said it once. She didn't feel like you listened, so she says it again. My mom used to do this across the mall, okay? Across the mall. I'd be walking down the mall, and I'd hear my mother, you know, and the whole mall heard it. But anyway, uh, you didn't need to hear that, and uh, I apologize for that. Um, but my mom used to do that. Now, think about the times God did this. Abraham, 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 to spare his son. And also God saying, I just want to make sure that you put me first in your life, not your son. That's what I'm doing here. Who's listening to me out there? Who's listening? Is God speaking to you that way? Hey, I just want to make sure I'm number one. Are you listening? Hello? Are you listening? I just want to make sure I'm number one. To Jacob, he said, Jacob, Jacob, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I'm with you. Jacob, Jacob, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Is God talking to you that way? Is he saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm here. Praise the Lord. It's not always a negative thing or a painful thing. Many times when God gets your attention, it's a positive. Always it's a positive thing. He's trying to do something positive. He is doing something positive. Moses, Moses, out of the burning bush. Moses, Moses, there's a great cause. And I need you to get involved. Is God speaking to you that way? Maybe through Mission Sunday, maybe through some other sermon, God's speaking to you and he's saying, there's a great cause and I need you. I need you. Moses, Moses, I want to use you. There's, there's, uh, there's Samuel, Samuel, I like this one. Samuel, Samuel, he had a message for Eli, but also he wanted to start a dialogue with Samuel that would last a lifetime. Maybe God's doing that with you. I want, I want, hey, I want to commune with you. I want you to know me. Let's talk. I'm here. Let's talk. Martha, 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 Jesus said, Martha. She had lost God in her service and she was stressed out. Saul, Saul. You're working against me. You think you're working for me, but you're not. Now, I find this interesting. Jesus says, you are persecuting me. You are persecuting my people, and I'm taking that personally. And I want everyone to hear this this morning. Anytime you do something against a child of God, Jesus takes it personally. If you slander a child of God, you're doing that against God himself. If you disrespect the authority God has put in your life, you're disrespecting God. If you're involved in cutting people down, if, if we're involved, I'm speaking to myself, if we're involved in bitterness and strife, it's all directed at God. God takes it personally. He said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? You're doing this against me. And, and Saul, he, he needed this awareness. He needed God's corrective measure. And so God had to get his attention. We see attention, correction. Last of all, direction. Direction. So how did Saul respond? He said, who are, who are you, Lord? Interesting, he says, Lord. I think he knew, okay? And then, what would you have me to do? 
Who are you, Lord? Would you circle this in your Bible if you do that? Underline that. Who are you, Lord, and what would you have me to do? And this is the path to true success in your life. And I hope you come to this place here at college, if you haven't already, where you say, I want to know God and his will for my life. Who are you, Lord, and what would you have me to do? I want to know you and what you have me to do. And so God lights the next step for him. He says in verse 6, arise and go. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Arise and go to the city. God's direction may involve leaving an old path behind, but the new path is an adventure. And you'll find the wonders of God's will as you leave that old way behind, the wrong way, and you walk in the new way. And God says, arise and go. Young people, do not be afraid to answer the call of God to go. Don't be afraid. Arise and go. I want you to think about this morning what all Paul did in the will of God because he answered this call. Think of all that he did in his calling. Now, his calling was unique for sure, but he traveled over 10,000 miles on three missionary journeys. That's like uh, most of it on foot. That's like walking from New York City to Los Angeles back and forth four times. He traveled that far with the gospel. He started himself or helped to start Churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Tyra, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Heropolis, Crete, possibly Athens. And thousands of people came to Christ. Asia Minor, that whole, the, the known Roman world was turned upside down with the gospel. He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books and we're reading them today. He trained leaders that would take the gospel around the world. All because he said, what will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? I want to tell you one more story. I've told this one before, but I haven't told it recently. I I, I told it to Ethan Laws in my office the other day, and he said, Pastor Zach, you got to tell everybody. So Ethan... This one's for you, okay? I want to tell you about my calling, all right? So I'm, I'm a junior, uh, well, I'm going into my junior year, and I'm traveling in a college singing group. Pastor Redland was the preacher, and Miss Charlene Monk was the leader. I had changed my major from uh, elementary ed to secondary ed to accounting. I, I, I was just running from the will of God. By the way, if God wants you in those majors, praise God. Be the best accountant you can be and lead many people to Christ count people's money and lead people to Christ. Amen. That's your calling. But I was running from the will of God and everybody in that group knew it. Pastor Redland knew it. And the group members knew I was not in the will of God. Somehow they knew. Now I could fake you out the way I sung up on the platform, but they knew it because they were with me every day (laughs) in the van. And so they prayed behind my back the whole summer that I would give my life to the Lord. That's friends for you. Praying behind your back. I'm telling you. Anyway. All summer long. All summer long. God was speaking to my heart about going into ministry. I knew that's where I belonged. Every verse I would read was about the love of money or something like that. About, you know, God would. So I said, I'm not reading my Bible anymore. Every verse I read, it's God talking to me. Uh, Sermons. 
people talking to me, the group members. It was all summer long. Toward the end of the summer, something miraculous happened. Miraculous. We're at this church. I now know where it is now, but back then it was kind of fuzzy to me Oh, where exactly uh, this happened. Or, or as I told this story later, I, I, I kind of got it mixed up. But it was in Waterford, Connecticut. Okay? This is important. It was in Waterford, Connecticut. And we're at a church, and this never happened. But Miss Monk, after the service, we usually stayed in people's homes. And she says, after the service, she says, you're not going to stay in someone's home that's here, that was here for the service. You're going to stay at the home of a, a person who wasn't here tonight. And I'm going to give you the van, and you're going to take it by yourself. You're going your, yourself. She never did that. Give me the keys to the college van and drive it by myself? I'm looking at her like, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I want you to go to this home. This is a guy who wasn't here tonight because he runs his own ministry in his home for people on the street, prostitutes, drug addicts, you know, those addicted to alcohol. He's got a special ministry and it's going on right now. So by the time you get there, it'll probably still be going and you're going to stay at his house. And I go, oh, okay. So I drive up and there is this, this auto shop, motorcycle repair shop, and with a, with a little apartment house attached to it. And I drive up there and I walk in and they're having a service. He had nailed bus seats to his living room floor and had a, a rickety pulpit and a rickety piano. And there's like 30 bus seats nailed to his floor. And people were in there singing. I walked in there looking like this, okay? Mr. PCC, okay? <laughs> I walked in there and... Uh, they, here's these people with, you know, tattoos all over, long hair, you know. Please understand me on that. Just, they looked like they walked right off the street. And many of them had. But they were singing. They didn't look like me, but they had something I didn't have. The joy of the Lord. And they were singing and singing lifting up their head and hands and singing. I walked in the back and I'm just like, and the guy leading the service goes, hey, hey, we have the PCC guy here. And everybody turns around and look at me and they said, hey, good to see you. Hey, would you tell us your testimony? Well, you know, and I go, okay. And I said, I'm Tim Zacharias. I'm a, a going on my junior year. I'm an accounting major, uh, you know, real kind of monotone. And they just went on with the service. Afterwards, the guy that was leading the service sits me down at his kitchen table after everyone left. And he said, Tim, we're across the table. It's a longer conversation, but I'm going to shorten it for you. He said, Tim, he said, I knew God wanted me to have someone here tonight. I knew he wanted me to have uh, host one of those PCC people, the singers. But I didn't know how I could because I didn't have a place for you to sleep. And then a few days ago, somebody showed up at my door and out of nowhere offered me a mattress the guy's name was Heiner Liebig, who was talking to me, and Heiner said to me, he said, out of nowhere, somebody shows up and says, uh, Heiner, I'd like to donate a mattress for your ministry. And he said, I knew God wanted you here. I'm looking at him, and I'm, first of all, I'm thinking, this guy is a little... <laughs> Something's not right. And he said, God wanted you here. And then he said, and so I prayed. I started praying last night. I prayed into the night that God would give me a message for you. And then I'm going, oh boy. And he goes, and I didn't know what it was until you said your major. 
and I saw the look on your face. You're not supposed to be an accounting major, are you? You're supposed to be in ministry. Then I got mad. <laughs> I go, who is this guy to talk to me like this? And, and, and then I started crying like I've never cried before. And I said, I've been fighting it all summer. I know what the ministry's like. I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad was a pastor in rural Michigan. I know how hard it is. I don't want to do that. He goes, Tim, Tim, listen to me. You either, you either change right now and go God's way. And when you're old like me, you'll say, thank God I did. Or you keep going the way you're going and you'll regret it the rest of your life. That's what he said to me. And I said, I need to, I need to change and I need to give my life to God. And he goes, hey, there's a little room over there with a mattress. <laughs> he says, why don't you just get on the floor and tell God, just get on the floor and tell God give, you'll give him your life. I got down on the floor. I prayed and said, God, I'm done running. You've got my attention. I'm going to go into ministry. I came back to the group the next day. I was so excited. I'll never forget, they're, they're, they're sitting there at the van waiting for me. Or excuse me, I had the van. Well, they were, they were waiting for me at the church. I show up and I say, guys, I have some exciting news. And they said, what? And I said, I just yielded my life to the Lord. I'm going into ministry. I all started bawling. They're all bawling. I'm so, I, I thought you guys would be happy. You know? but you're going into ministry. <laughs> no, uh, that's not what the crying was. But anyway, uh, they were crying for you. <laughs> no, uh, they all started crying. Said, Tim, we've been praying for you all summer. I went back to PCC, changed my major. God started working in my life, using me. I had to go an extra year. I had to go a fifth year. That's when I met my wife. God called me to North Carolina, the youth pastor. Then back to Connecticut. He gave me an affinity for Connecticut because of what happened. I went back to Connecticut by the grace of God, planted a church that's a strong, established church to this day. And here's the end of the story. Thanks for bearing with me. But I got to tell you the exciting ending. For years, I would tell this story when I would be at conferences and whatever, and I always had it mixed up. I would say it happened in New Jersey. This happens. I don't know. I, I get these files mixed up, and I pull, I pull papers out of the wrong file. Who's with me out there, okay? When I tell stories, and then somebody has to correct me and go, no, that's not the way it went, okay? So I'm telling this story, and I would always say this guy, Heiner Liebig, he had an auto shop and motorcycle repair, and I described the house in New Jersey, right? Because we traveled all over, so I got it mixed up. I'm preaching at this conference in Connecticut, and afterwards, this guy comes up to me and says, that's not in New Jersey, Heiner lives in Unkinsville, Connecticut. He was just diagnosed with cancer. He would love to see you. Go see him. You know where he is? Yeah, I'll give you his, I'll give you his phone number and address. I know the guy you're describing. You said his name. I mean, he's in Connecticut. And so I drive up there one day. This is late in my ministry in Connecticut. I drive to Unkinsville. I go to that auto shop, and it looked the same. I, I knock on the door. Heiner comes to the door. He's so excited. He, I said, do you remember me? And I told him the story. He goes, I remember you. Come on in. I went in the house. It looked the same. This is 20-something years later. He hadn't done a thing to it. Okay? 
bachelor guy. I mean, just living the same. I walked in, I go, Heiner, this is the same. It was like a flashback. It was like I was there all over again. He goes, Tim, God brought you here to encourage me. I said, Heiner, I planted a church 40 minutes down the road. We're having our 15th anniversary service. I want you to come and see what God has done. Heiner came to our 15th anniversary. He sat in the front. I got up. I told the story. I, I, I introduced Heiner Liebig to everybody in our church. And I said, folks, this church would not be here. I would not be here had not this man been used by God to tell me I was on the wrong road. And Heiner started weeping and crying. And I said, Heiner, and the place was packed. I said, Heiner, God used you. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. It changed the whole course of my life. And today I'm 56, and I serve at Campus Church, and I say, thank God I said, what will you have me to do? Instead of I wish I had, today I'm saying, thank God I did. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm talking to someone today and God is trying. I keep saying that. He is not trying. God doesn't try anything. God is getting your attention. Why? He wants you to live a wonderful life of purpose in his will. Not pain-free, but with purpose, fruitfulness. How will you respond? How will you respond? Will you say, Lord, I want to know you, and what will you have me to do? Will you say, what will you have me to do? Respond quickly and say to the Lord, what will you have me to do? And God will do some amazing things. What could God do with your life? Think about it. Life-changing truth right here on a Tuesday morning. What could God do with your life if you would say, what would you have me to do? Who knows? If God's getting your attention, why don't you say that right now? Why don't you say it right now? It may be like God's speaking directly to you. It's time to go a different way. To, to go a different way. You're on the wrong way. Maybe you're in the right place, but on the wrong way. You're going in the wrong direction. You're working against God, not for God. And God is saying your name, and he's saying it twice. Why don't you respond? You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.